Well, ho, ho, ho. What's this? What's that? What's that over there? What's this under that? What? what who's that? What's this? Uh, famous? Uh, is he? Is he a famous person? He can't make a movie unless he's a famous person. Exactly. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Gretchen. And I'm Richard. Welcome to Daily Chit Chat. Join us every weekday as we talk about what's streaming, what we're loving, where we're going, and maybe some obscure references. Let's Let's chit chat! chat. Today, uh, what a treat. I love the toys that made us, then I loved when they came out with the movies that made us, and now there's a special... The holiday movies that made us on Netflix. Just two episodes, though. I was going to binge all of them in one night, and it did not take me but two episodes, and it was over. Yes. Although, in the original uh, movies that made us, they do Home Alone, so you could watch that one. Yeah, and they do Die Hard, which is arguably a Christmassy movie because it's an action movie that takes place on Christmas. Yeah, that old debate. <laughs> we brought it up. We get it. You're not a regular Christmas movie fan. You're a cool Christmas movie fan. You like to watch Die Hard. <laughs> well, guess what? I like to watch Over Scissorhands. So uh, there. There. See, that ties it all together. Yeah. So uh, they cover Elf and they cover Nightmare Before Christmas. Now, did you think, and this could be just because I'm showing my age a little, did you think that Elf is not old enough really to be a classic Christmas movie? That's just I am where confounded I'm at. when I'm confounded when people always talk about Elf being a classic Christmas movie, but the movie's almost 20 years old, so I guess it is. Yeah, that that's what I was thinking too. I was like, no, I was working at a movie theater when Elf came out and I saw it for free several times and when the closing credits were going on the screen, that's when I was in the back of the theater with my sweeper broom and my little dustpan. And I was ready to sweep up that popcorn to uh, to the voice of Zoe Deschanel singing, I really can't stay. That, that old number. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't do um, A Christmas Story. That would have been a great one to cover. I understand why they didn't do white christmas because everybody involved in that movie is probably dead so nobody to interview there it's tough because already with the with the ones that they chose obviously the most famous people that are involved in the movie are not interviewed at all but they're able with stock footage and interview footage and all the other production team interviews piece it together so we do get an overall story on Will Ferrell's point of view and um, mm-hmm. uh, Tim Burton's point of view. You know what I mean? Although they do get some people. I mean, for like the Nightmare Before Christmas, they interview Danny Elfman and Christopher Guest. I, I thought Danny Elfman was. Yeah, that's true. I thought Danny Elfman was a good get. Yeah, and Christopher Guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. They. It's not like they don't have some A-list stars, but. 
it is funny when we're talking about Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, there's zero engagement with Tim Burton, which coincidentally behind the scenes is how that movie was made. Yeah, I always thought he directed it, but he didn't. He was the creator of the idea and the concept art. Yeah, which I mean, that's a big that's a big deal. That's a big part of it. It's like, quote unquote, his vision. But literally simultaneously, he was directing Batman Returns, which was a huge blockbuster about to come out, you know, trailing off the hit of Batman 1, the Tim Burton Batman original. So it was going to be a blockbuster. So he literally couldn't be in two places at once. Yeah. So if anybody has not watched any of these movies that made us before it's basically it's a how long are they like 45 minutes 50 minutes it's a interview style retrospective on the movie you learn some cool trivia you get to have interviews with people that you might not know their name or recognize them but they had a lot to do with how the movies came to be so usually it's the people that wrote the movie Maybe the person who directed it. Because on Home Alone, um, they interview Chris Columbus. Yeah. Like, for some of these, they do get pretty much everyone involved if they're still alive and still around. But I just thought it was... um, They really didn't get any of the big names for Elf. You are correct there. Yeah. Yeah. If you were a main star of Elf, you were not interviewed for this film. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then you just hear the origin story of, of basically the writer, how they got the idea, the process of getting connected with producers or pitching it, or maybe even fun things that could have been, but didn't happen in terms of maybe, you know, actors they were thinking might have been in it or scenes or sequences that maybe were proposed, but then didn't happen for assorted reasons so let's talk about elf first i watched i watched elf first which one did you watch first richard i mean i watched them i thought in order i did elf and then nightmare before christmas okay you know what's funny is it wanted me to watch nightmare before christmas first so weird but i watched elf first it always wants you to watch them in a weird order yeah i watched elf first just because my sister just watched it and i was like well i'll watch that one first Um, So we both watch it in the right order. I was going to say before we (laughs) before we dive deep, what did you think of the sassy new female narrator? Why does she have to be sassy because she's a female? No, 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 because their shtick. Their shtick. (laughs) Hey, everybody, guess what? Richard's not as cool as you thought he was. He's been a secret misogynist the whole time. I'm canceled. I'm canceled (laughs) right here on my own podcast. (laughs) No, I know what you mean. The narrators of uh, Toys That Made Us and the movies that made us always have a little bit of catitude attitude yes ratitude ratitude (laughs) yeah they yeah so she was capturing the same feel as the male narrator that they mostly use but i bet they were thinking we've made a ton of these little docu episodes and maybe it's time for a refreshing new sound and yeah yeah I welcomed the change. Yeah, it was fun. And I thought for the holiday motif, too, she did sound like 
someone that you would hear in a Christmas movie narrating a Christmas movie. I've I've seen that before. Um, the only thing that I can think of right off the bat <laughs> is just that uh, Peter Pan live where you hear uh, Minnie Driver narrating, but I can't think of a movie right this second, but I think it exists. Well, a, Chris- a Christmas story starring... Yeah. Uh... A Christmas story is a guy, though. Yeah. But same but narration I thought you were just style. asking for any Christmas movie with a narrator. True. So True. I wasn't specific. You're right. Gene Shepard. That's his name. He does the narration for his own story in A Christmas Story. But you watched the movie Elf shortly before watching the behind the scenes. Is that true? No. I, it's been decades. It's been decades? It's been wow. decades since I've seen Elf. I think I've seen it once. Whoa, I and I told you, I already outed myself that I saw Elf in the movie theater at least three times, and I saw bits and pieces of it at least a million times. Saw the credits a bazillion times. Yes. That was my favorite movie theater to clean, and I got that song stuck in my head. I was like, oh, baby, it's cold now time. I was like, yeah. Rags to Riches story. All unknown people somehow produced a movie, which I assumed that this was just a normal Hollywood production because of all the people involved, all the actors. I thought, oh, star studded cast. They did a great job with everything. It was like very successful as a movie and with the effects and with the motif and the style and the story. I thought, oh, they're all professionals. And I was so wrong. Yeah, you forget that Will Ferrell had not become a movie star yet. They point out that the only movie he had been in at that point was A Night at the Roxbury, playing a character that he'd played on Saturday Night Live. That was a popular recurring sketch, so popular they probably thought it was going to be the next Wayne's World, but it wasn't. That movie was a bit of a flop, so um, the movie Elf... It all starts with the writer, and we do see interviews with the writer of the screenplay. His name's David, and as they say, he's a Jewish man who loves Christmas and Christmas movies, and he always loved them growing up, and then he moves to L.A., and he's trying to make it as a screenwriter in L.A., and he essentially is getting a little down because there's no real change of seasons when you live in LA and so now it's December and it doesn't seem much different weather-wise than all the other times of the year in right. LA. So he's watching a lot of Christmas movies at home. He's, you know, renting them. And this is in the early nineties. Yeah. It's, it was surprising how early the development of Elf was like when they mention people they wanted to get for the starring role, I was like, Oh, that that's older than what ended up happening with the the order of it actually coming out. Yeah, when they first were getting serious about it in the early '90s, Chris Farley's name was being tossed around, and they said it would be so different as a movie, and it it would have been. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's 1993, and David, the writer, is directly inspired. He says by the Rankin and Bass, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Mm-hmm. He says if it's it's no secret that there's a lot of homage to Rankin and Bass in Elf. And he says, yeah, essentially, I'm inspired by this story of someone 
their own town they learn that they're different and then they go on this journey and that really is the basic plot points that they hit an elf yeah so now it takes like 10 years like david is now he's meeting other people in hollywood he's meeting people that are like him that they're like him entry-level producers so now it's essentially like eight years later or so and somehow from him getting to know other people the script gets in to will ferrell's hands and he's like yeah i want to do it yeah kind of like a i'm gonna promise you that i'll get your script in the hands of will ferrell but he had to play tennis with so-and-so who was friends with so-and-so who was the manager of will ferrell who gave it to him like it was like a little it was very much like who you know in hollywood and then you you chat with those people and you play basketball and then you get their trust and you have a coffee date and and this is a reason it's just a reason why i wouldn't want to do that kind of work because that would be hard for me to be like just make it if it's good right just make the script if it's good instead of I have to know people that know people. But Richard, you get to know people so easily. You're so friendly. I think it would take you no time at all to get to know who you needed to know. All right, fine. I'll move to Hollywood and I'll be a successful no knowing people person. (laughs) Oh, put that. Oh, that would be such a great (laughs) business card that you hand out to people. Richard Temple and knowing people person since 1983. And um, so, yeah, you. You would think the way that we look at Will Ferrell now, like, oh, well, that's a slam dunk. As soon as Will Ferrell says he wants to do it, let's do it. But as we were saying, he'd only been in one movie at this point, and um, that movie did not yeah. go that well. And he wasn't even really like the lead lead. He was like a co-lead with Chris Kattan because of their characters. Exactly. So they're, they're shopping it around. Yeah. None of the studios want to do it. So it's... um. Is it New Line Cinemas that ends up going with it? Yeah, it is New Line. Which at that point, they really only did horror movies. They point out that New Line really was just known for doing like Freddy. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, which it really reminded me too of that, uh, the movies that made us when they talked about Dirty Dancing. Had you watched that one, Richard? I don't remember if I got to that one because for some reason, I think that's the first one sometimes listed as Dirty Dancing, but I watched Home Alone and I watched the one after Home Alone that I can't recall right now, but I didn't even watch Die Hard yet. No, I can't remember what the third one is. Ghostbusters. I missed the Dirty Dancing one. Okay, well, you'll like it. Yeah. Anyway, same thing is that Dirty Dancing was actually produced by a film studio that had only made things basically that would like direct to video, like really cheap movies. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it just, I was not expecting this story that Elf was made by a bunch of newbies and it was really like who knew who. And, um, the, the director was, um, now I'm blanking. What's his name? He's the guy that does the Mandalorian. The the actor who does the Mandalorian? No, the guy that created the Mandalorian. Oh, yes. I do forget his name. 
directed Iron Man. Oh, shoot, shoot, shoot. Oh, yeah, he was an actor, though. You're right. He was an actor turned director. In in Friends, he's the millionaire that Monica dates. Um, and then she breaks up with him because he wants to get into cage fighting. Yes. And she's like, I can't. I can't watch you get beat up. <laughs> anyway, he's best friends with Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn had just starred in uh, Old School with Will Ferrell. So Vince Vaughn's like... Yeah, it was it was kind of weird too because as big a... Oh, go ahead, go Vince ahead. Vaughn. I'm stalling so I can look up who directed the thing. Okay, good idea. So that that's that brings up another point too is that... He was pretty much an established actor, but now he's switching to being a director. So he also kind of is in the camp of new, inexperienced director, even though he goes on to do Iron Man and Mandalorian and all this big, big stuff. John Favreau. Oh, yeah. John Favreau. Uh, that was a spam caller. Um, John Favreau just spam calls you? <laughs> yes, John. Yes, he did. I said no. Because you didn't do the interview for the documentary, so I'm not answering. Yeah, John Favreau had been an actor, and he wanted to get into directing. Elf was his big break. Totally. So um, you learn a lot of... And he did a great job. He actually d- did a great job because he was having the same intentions as the writer, which you know doesn't always work out. Yeah, without the people that were already involved in uh elf they didn't even have to say to him hey we're pretty inspired by the rankin and bass rudolph john favreau just had that idea and Mm -hmm. so when he came and was like hey here's the picture i have in my mind of what this movie should look like i'm thinking rankin and bass they were like yes and then he was like you know i really see this movie as having a lot of heart as like a holiday classic it's really about the relationship between father and son and everybody else involved was like, yes, that's what we're going for. We don't want to have any um, cheap thrills or, you know, jokes that will not be funny in a couple of years. We're really trying to make this a, a Christmas classic. And I think it is. As you and I kind of hinted at, I feel like successfully done because they're saying it's a Christmas classic now, even though I think it came out last year. Apparently it was almost 20 years ago. Yeah, it's not in my uh, regular Christmas watching repertoire, but I know a lot of people that it is. And that's great. Yeah, it's great. It, it does. It does. It's just funny that the ones that we think are classics and then new movies came out. Like, I feel like there's so many movies that came out when we were growing up that I don't think are classics. I just think they're normal Christmas movies. So I don't know when it can make that threshold. I think it's just the movies you want to watch over and over again. Yeah, true. Yeah. Do you like Jingle All the Way? Never seen it. Oh my goodness. We'll have to watch it for the podcast. I know. Does that have Jonathan Taylor Thomas in it? Uh, no, it has the boy Jake from... Uh, he's Anakin Skywalker in Phantom Menace. <laughs> what? <laughs> Richard, the discussion we had yesterday. Yeah, you didn't watch those. I got it. I got it. <laughs> uh, why would I? <laughs> oh 
My knowledge of Anakin Skywalker is limited to the Weird Al parody song. Bye-bye, Mr. Anakin guy. Maybe Vader someday later. Now he's just a small fry. That's what I know. Right. I'm sorry. You're right. So Weird Al, it's starring Weird Al. Great. Okay. Why haven't I watched it before? UHF is uh, a, a classic movie for me. There you go. An evergreen 365 movie. <laughs> All right, you want to talk about Nightmare Before Christmas? Sure. The the interesting uh, the interesting beginnings or origin story of Nightmare Before Christmas is so cool because didn't really know this before, but Tim Burton was working at Disney proper at the Disney Studios as like this protege animator, right? So they had people they would bring in as either interns or like. I think they just have a very well-structured program in their animation department. Also, this is literally the year 1980 when he started. So he, I got the impression he's like fresh off art school. I also Mm -hmm. was reading that Tim Burton was um, raised in Burbank. So he was already from Southern California. Yeah. And it was interesting because as we know from Tim Burton's style, because we're used to famous Tim Burton and all his movies, it's so interesting to know that he started at Disney, which is the opposite of like super creepy. They're like super pristine, cutesy, even to this day, even though like, you know, you and I've discussed that they made uh, the, the, the something in the, in the woods. woods. Yeah. That they were trying to branch out here and there through the years, but technically they've always been pretty, clean cut well they even they made that i mean watcher in the wood is live action but they made that really dark animated movie um that people like in the late 70s i think it's the black cauldron it's really not talked about anymore but they experimented a little bit in the late 70s with live action for sure with um maybe things are a little bit darker and then they made this one animated thing that was just like too spooky so then they were just like let's stick with what we know let's stick with the cheerful stuff so yeah it was very surprising that tim burton got his start working for walt disney animation but also you know if you think about it like well where else was he supposed to go he's an aspiring animator he obviously has this this unique darker style but i don't i don't know where else anybody else was supposed to go in the year 1980. Yeah, the only place that he could be. And obviously he met key people in that process that ended up working for him a lot in the future. So that was kind of great for him. And it's kind of like a weird journey too that it ends up being profitable for Disney, just not at first. And because they technically own creative works that he started creating when he was at Disney. And that becomes this huge, like, Oh no, are we going to have to fight? Are we going to have to have a battle? And then they're like, or we can join forces and work together. Yeah. Well, that was interesting that I got, I understand that he developed the concepts for nightmare before Christmas when he was a young animator at Disney. So since he developed it, when he was on the clock with them, they owned those ideas and those properties but what was interesting is that he tried 
when he was still employed by Disney, he talked to some people like a little bit above him and, and got a meeting that said, Hey, I have this idea. I know it's a little bit different than what you usually do, but I think it has legs. And they said, Nope, we're not interested in doing anything different than our standard Disney fair. And then he left at some point becomes this hugely successful director. Mm Mm-hmm. And he still has Nightmare Before Christmas sitting around in his head like, oh, I'd love to make that. But Disney owns it. Right. Yeah. And I I think that was the cohesive little story, too, that I kind of hinted at this at the beginning of the podcast. Because he wasn't a famous person, entity, when he was at Disney, they didn't give him much credence. Then when he goes out of Disney, leaves and does his own successful creative works, he comes back knocking on Disney's vault door, and they're like, you know what? Now we trust you to make an $18 million movie, or $24 million, depending on what point of the process we're on. Yeah. They uh, didn't want to sell it him the rights, but they were willing to... They could have, but they didn't want back to. Back it and produce it. But then even then... When push comes to shove, they don't release it under Disney. They release it under Touchstone. I think that was a failure on their part, that they didn't adopt the Walt Disney title to Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas until years in the future. And I didn't remember that. I did not remember it was a Touchstone Pictures film at first. I have wondered, though, because um, every year at Disneyland for the past few years, I don't know if it's like 10 years or so, they transform the haunted mansion into that yeah into a jack skellington nightmare before christmas what they call an overlay which is the basics of the ride are still there but they swap out essentially some props and other things actually if anybody wants to watch a really cool um thing that they made i think just a year or two ago if you have disney plus look for it's a special it was just made for tv and it's all about how at the disney parks they basically do like all the christmas transformations overnight where it's like they close the park on Mm -hmm. you know november 30th the last guest has left and then december 1st you go to the park and there's christmas trees up and and banners and buntings and everything and they go into great detail about how they transform the haunted mansion. They can't do that overnight. That they like close down the haunted mansion for about two weeks because it cool. takes a lot of work and detail. Um, but I had always wondered, like, what? Why? I thought maybe just like in some weird corporate buyout that somehow, like how Disney now, you know, has like Star Wars, the National Geographic. Yeah, I, I was like, well, I guess somewhere like, along yeah. the way, Nightmare Before Christmas was acquired. But no, they've owned it from the beginning. Right. It was the their little stepchild that they were yes. not proud of until later. Um, also, we're getting close to the end. Yes, yes. The cool thing about these uh, movies that made us things is you do learn a lot of neat facts. And so we're not going to spoil all the cool bits of trivia. Totally. But here's a little bit of trivia I'll leave you with. Sure. I've never seen The Nightmare Before Christmas. What? How did I not know that? Well, it was my big secret. It was my deep, dark secret. 
I didn't even know that the song where he's like, what's this? What's this? I didn't know that was a real song. I just saw some meme a couple of months ago where you see Jack Skellington and he's like, what's this? What's this? What the fuck is this? And I was like, oh, that's funny. Somebody, somebody <laughs> just took, you know, these stills from, I mean, I understand like the concept of what happens in the Nightmare Before Christmas, which is there's a Halloween town. Oh yeah. How is this not a conflict of interest? That in Nightmare Before Christmas, where they live, is called Halloween Town. How is this different than the Debbie Reynolds movie about Halloween Town? Wow, I didn't hmm? even think of it till just now. Yeah, that's scandal. I guess since Disney already owned Nightmare Before Christmas, they were like, sure, we'll make a a decom franchise. Also, yeah, a decom version, but totally different than this one. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Rude. they could have had way better background actors. They they should have. They should have just taken clips from Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, just put Debbie Reynolds in front of a green screen. Oh, don't worry. They do that for the fourth Halloween Town film. Oh, oh mm. boy. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> yeah. Okay, everybody. Well, we're going to be working on our stop motion podcast we're gonna record one second of podcast a day so next episode will be ready in approximately two years so best wishes to you and yours yeah yep best wishes (laughs) goodbye